0: We'll open your Bibles to Isaiah 49. Um, So uh, what we're kind of doing with our sermons um, is if we're not in the sermon series or have a specific like, oh, the Lord's like interrupting and breaking in with this message, then we're going to do what uh, has traditionally the Jews and Messianic Jews have always done, which is um, to preach on the Torah portion of that week. And so um, if you don't know what that is... um, synchronized across the world, whether you're Messianic or not, um, the Jews actually read the same part of the Bible. They have a Bible reading plan that they're all across the world. So whether you're in Kenya or in Russia, they're all reading the same portions and preaching the same portions um, of scripture, which is kind of cool because it's like the worldwide global Bible study that's happening at the same time and you get to pick um, and like glean from each other, if you will, at the same time. Um, And actually, uh, let's see, Cindy, do you mind grabbing the Torah portions, like just a handful of them? All right, so this week, uh, the the Torah portion actually, Isaiah 49. So let's go ahead. It's not, oh, well, I'm just going to read the first part. (laughs) I was going to say, it's not too long, and then I flipped the page. Okay. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. In the body of the mother, he named my name. He made me my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said, you are my servant in Israel, um, in Israel in whom I am, am, will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength um, for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense is my God. Um, okay, skip down to... Um, Verse, uh, verse 8, <clears throat> thus says the Lord, in the time of favor I've answered you, in the day of salvation I've helped you, I will help you and give you as a covenant to my people to establish the land to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out, and those in darkness appear. They shall feed along the ways, on the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water he will guide them. All right, I want to highlight that. And they shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And then uh, go down to verse um, 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she has showed no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers are those who laid you waste. Go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They are all gathered. They come to you as I live, declares the Lord. You shall put them all on as an ornament and shall bind them on as a bride does. Okay. Um, So... Today, uh, the sermon, you can pull up the slides here. Um, the topic I wanted to uh, share on today, great, waiting for the great reveal. Yeah, that's it. <coughs> Is um, Adonai, Adonai, the compassionate. Um, some of you guys know, but this past week, um, the, oh, Adonai means Lord, Lord, God, compassionate. Um, If some of you guys know this past week, the Jewish people um, honored Tisha Bob and that's a a fast and so we um, here at FHL, we all know about the feasts. We're very much, we like to eat, we like to cook, right? And so we have all these feasts lined up. But Joseph actually was sharing the other day about how there's also Jewish fasts. And we Gentiles are like, what are the fasts? Like, <laughs> we don't like that as much, right? Um, but there are powerful fasts um, prescribed in the Scripture, specifically four of them. And one of them happened, the biggest one, uh, well, arguably second or second biggest one or biggest one, is Tisha B'av last week. Um, and what happened on Tisha B'av? Tisha B'av uh, is when they mourn the destruction of the temple, but it's more than that. It's uh, it's very interesting, and if you if you capture what I'm about to say, it kind of puts the fear of the Lord in your heart, because like tons of judgments on Israel throughout history, tons of things that happened um, that were really um, terrible atrocities happened to them on Tisha B'av. It's almost like the day of the judgment of the Lord. It's the day where um, the enemies come at them. So if you go to the next slide, <clears throat> um, it's a day of mourning repentance. Why? The first temple was destroyed on that day, TSbab. The second temple was destroyed on that day. TSvab. Same day of the same year. The Jews were expelled from England on that day. Shabab. The Jews were expelled from Spain on that day. They were expelled from Vienna on that day. World War II, which led to the huge persecution and rallying of Jews, happened was, was declared on that day. The final solution, which if you know your history, um, is the Nazi uh, proclamation for great genocide, was proclaimed on that day. Um, and many, many more. In fact, the Jewish people recognize this, that this is a day... Um, and actually, the Lord has actually uh, called this fast on this day. And on this day, the Jews actually, I told someone, you know, if I was a Jewish person, like every single time this year, I'd probably develop an ulcer. I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, you know, like, let's bunker down in our house. Let's like just, all right, everyone, let's go hide in the basement until this day is absolutely over, right? Um, and I was surprised to find out, actually, that's not too far from what they do on this day. Like, they actually, do, a lot of them cancel doctor's appointments, Joseph was saying, and they actually um, don't buy plane tickets on this day. Um, and it's actually a day that they mourn um, because it isn't uh, just a, oh, my gosh, God might smite us. It's a recognition that there's consequence to our sin for disobedience to him. And they walk in the fear of the Lord. Um, like And as Jeremiah 5, uh, 24 actually says, let us fear the Lord. And I used to be taught, I don't know how many of you guys are taught this, but Um, When I was in Sunday school as a kid, I was like, what's the fear of the Lord? And I remember my Sunday school teacher goes, well, it's afraid of disappointing him. And I was like, oh. And that's not true. (laughs) That's that's maybe like a small percentage of it. But it's actually the fear of recognizing his great power and his accountability to judge and to straighten crooked paths and to bring about um, righteousness where there is wickedness even in our own lives. And, like, I love what Jeremiah 5.24 says. I feel like it's the, one of the best descriptions I've found so far of what the fear of the Lord says. Because God's actually bemoaning the fact that Israel doesn't fear him anymore. And he says, let us, he says, nobody's saying this. He says, nobody in Israel says, let us fear the Lord our God who gives rain at season, autumn rain, and spring rain and keeps appointed weeks of the festivals. Meaning, let's fear the God who gave us all this. Because he can take it away. Like, that recognition that every good thing, the clothes on your back, the job that you have, the relationships that any good and perfect thing comes from the Father of hosts. And he has every right to take it. Right? That's actually the fear of the Lord. And it's the beginning of wisdom. That's what the Bible says. But sometimes we as humans in our brokenness, we can consider fear um, as like negative, right? Which it is, unless it's the fear of the Lord. But also, when we're being um, punished, or how many of you guys were spanked by your mom and dad? Just out of here. Okay, it's not a popular thing to do anymore, okay? Um, There's always two responses when you get disciplined. My mom's looking so happy, it must be good memories for her. But. (laughs) But um, there's always two reactions that can happen. You can either repent, right, or you can become bitter, right? And so when we encounter the fear of the Lord, the discipline of God, we have two responses. When the Israelites um, hit Tishabab and remember all the atrocities that happened to them. They can have two reactions, right? And, and God admonishes them to choose to not harden their hearts. Go to the next slide. Today, if you hear, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the provocation. He's he's actually saying, when you hear me, when you hear, like, the things that I do, don't harden your hearts when you're disciplined by the Lord, right? Because um, the hardness of heart, what it can often do is that it mistakens God as harsh. It mistakens God as distance. And so I was kind of convicted on that in myself because I realized that anytime I feel like God's a little bit harsh in this, or God or I feel a little bit distant from the Lord, I, I started to recognize that that's not because um, of other than the fact that my heart might be a little bit hard today. you know, Like like I want to, the reality that God is near, that He is good, is eternal. Like if I feel anything less than that, it's the hardness of my heart. And I, so uh, that's been something uh, I've been praying through, um, because even I recognize that when the servant, the story of the servants, um, like they were all given talents—one five, one ten, and one of them one. If you look at the heart posture of why that servant who didn't give God anything back, like why didn't why didn't that servant give anything God? He was afraid of him, not in the healthy fear of the Lord, but he was afraid because he thought that God was harsh. He said, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. Like he was accusing the characteristic of God. And how much in the world, I would say predominantly in the world, we look at God, the Christian God, and we accuse him of being harsh. Like we look at the Old Testament, we read it, and we say, You're kind of hard. Right? Like, that's just the natural inclination of the sinful heart, the hardening of the human heart. And even in Tisha B'Av, like, looking at all the Jewish people, like, mourning their losses, like, they have a choice, right, to harden their hearts or to repent and recognize the goodness of God. Go to the next slide. Um, so there's actually three weeks that lead up to lead up to Tishabab, and now we're in this the fourth week. And so actually, after all the morning and after all the um remembering of all the hard things, like God actually spends seven weeks and this these are the seven weeks of comfort. Like he comforts us. like and isn't that isn't that wonderful? like that God doesn't leave us and be like, well, you don't understand me, and you don't understand why I did all this da 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 like you're sinful and you're stuck and you deserve it and whatever go wallow in your sorrow he actually like quickly says yeah restores and comfort comfort let me comfort you let me show you my great compassion right um so our tendency is when like if we were god right if we see the sin of people um the human nature like we get hard Great. How many of you guys know that? Like when you've seen enough sin, when you've been around sin, like there's a hardness to your heart. There's even a hardness to your face, like you can tell it. Um, I remember there was this one kid who came to FHL once, and um, he's from the inner city, and he actually met Jessica, um, who's over there. If you don't know who who she is, and he d- rarely gets out of the inner city, and he told. Um, uh, one of my, oh, I'll just say who it was. Uh, he told Travis because Travis had brought him. They were he was bringing him home after meeting Jessica. He wasn't here just to meet Jessica, by the way. He was here to like work on stuff, and Jessica just happened to be here. And like as on his way home, um, Travis and him were driving through the inner city, and they passed by uh, this girl. And as they passed by, they kind of glanced over, and she went, "What?" Like that, right? And then this kid, who's in like a teenager, he goes thinking he goes Tra- Travis, you know what? Like I feel like maybe women were supposed to be like Jessica. <laughs> like, like maybe they weren't supposed like he didn't articulate this way, but he had never seen gentleness like in in that kind of like way before. It was always like what, what? Right? It was always this hardness of heart. And that comes from sin even individually but like, corporately as a community, but really, it's not just sin that hardens our hearts. It's actually what that Bible verse said before, which is not hearing the voice of God. He says, when you hear my voice, do not harden your heart, right? Not hearing his voice, not really hearing and understanding his heart, like, not really getting where he's coming from. Like, our hearts actually become hard, Um. I love um, what, uh, go to the next slide here. Some of you guys know this quote. Um, kind of the juxtaposition of God's great power and his ability to crush and destroy yet his great compassion and love for us. Um, there's, there's a beaver in this story. <laughs> if you haven't read it, you're like, what? But anyway, he's explaining to um, these kids about Aslan, who's representing God, and, he's, and they're asking about Aslan, and um, he's like, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's a king, I tell you. Right? And I am just so glad that our God is like a lion that he does crush sin, that he does um, not just let it pass and grow and proliferate without uh, checks and balances. Like he actually, but his great compassion is what moves him, right? And that's a reminder after Tishba Ba'av is the great compassion of the Lord. And so I I wanted to elaborate and just um, tap into and paint a picture of the great compassion of the Lord. And sometimes we need to know that because we go through hard things. Individually, as a nation, we see it in the news, till we feel it death in the family, to sickness, to rebellion, to the hardness of our own hearts. And we have to understand that whatever the Lord does, allows and doesn't allow, he does it with great, overwhelming, cup-bursting of great compassion for us. Um, Go to the next slide. It's actually the great reveal of who he is. He says, about himself, the first time he picks a people, and he finally tells them what he's like. He says, Adonai, Adonai, Lord, Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth, showing mercy to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means leaving the guilty unpunished, but bringing the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I looked up the definition of compassion, and I'll just read that. But uh, compassion, a social feeling that motivates people to go out of their way to relieve physical, mental, or emotional pain of others and themselves. Compassion is sensitivity to the emotional aspects of the suffering of others. That's our God. He wants to relieve pain, He wants to relieve mental or emotional hurt like the greek root of root for word for this uh, compassion actually means bowels inner organs heart gut like literally what the bible is saying is that when god feels compassion um it's that same spot inside of us that when we get anxiety or when we feel fear like we like feel something inside of our stomachs to our hearts that go right and, and so with also great compassion, that part of you that uh, like your heart's about to leap out of your mouth like it, it's so overwhelming that great compassion, that's how the Lord feels. right That's how he feels. great emotions of affection, sympathy, pity, kindness, compassion. actually, Zachariah when in the temple when he first saw baby Jesus, that, When he recognized this was the Messiah, this was God in the flesh, that's what he burst out saying. Great is the mercies of God. He started proclaiming the compassions of the Lord. Oh, he's so compassionate. He's seen our suffering that he would give us his Messiah. Right? He says... Zacharias actually says, though our God, uh, though our God's, through our God's heart of mercy, great compassion, the sunrise from on high will come upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of salvation. It's so powerful. He was overwhelmed. He was undone by the great compassion of God to give himself to us. The Hebrew word is actually rakahim, And the root word actually means womb. And we understand that because um, not just you feel it to the core, but it's actually knit to a mother's great compassion for her vulnerable baby. Like, that's how the Lord feels. Um, I I was thinking about this, but uh, I remember, like, uh, well... Kids, kids, they don't even go to the playground that much anymore. But like back in the day when every kid was pretty much on the playground, you know, all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, you'd have like a circle of mothers, right? And all these kids playing on the playground, a host of children. And if one of them falls and one of them like or cries out, whatever woman is around the, the circle of the playground and rushes toward them, nobody has to question who this is. Like, it's the mother. Right? There's a na- that, that actually is God's reaction to us, right? And that's actually what the Israelites say in the Torah portion. They said, what other nation has a God full of compassion that hears the cries of his children? Like, who are we that when we fall on the playground, like, it is not just anybody but God himself that rushes over to us? Oh, how great his compassion is towards us. In fact, um, even in the, the Bible, like, it's knit to that story of Solomon. Like Solomon actually, like when the two women were disputing who the mother is, and each one's trying to be deceptive, and who's really that kid's mom? It was the compassion that revealed who the mother was. She would rather that child be given to somebody else than to see that child hurt that qualified, that said, assuredly, that that is that child's mother. And likely, you can line up all the gods of the universe from the beginning of mankind till now, Zeus, Buddha, Allah. Like, you can line them up all around, and there is not a single one who is full of compassion for us, like our God is. Like, who, you read any of their stories, none of them will run to us in our aid like our God. Surely he is our father. We can be assured of it. Right, Great is his compassion. He declared it in Deuteronomy, but we saw it. We saw it when Jesus came in the flesh. We saw how his compassion was walked out. He didn't just say it. He didn't just declare it about himself. We witnessed it. We witnessed it in all his healing, all his deliverance, all his feeding of the people, caring of the outcasts, the death on the cross. Like We saw him walk out his compassion. It was not just something he said. It was something it moved him to action. And it was all motivated by his great compassion for us. I want to give some examples. Um, And I was actually overwhelmed a little bit when I was researching it, how much the word, actually the word compassion showed up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go to the next slide. I just picked a few. Go to the next slide. I forgot about that one. Oh, go to the next slide. (laughs) Okay, there we go. But when Jesus, or he, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. And every single time I, want, when you see that word compassion, I want you to, to remember that, that Hebrew and Greek word that is like his, his heart was coming out of his mouth. Like it was just the insides, his bowels, like just it was such a feeling of overwhelming, overpowering compassion. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Matthew 14, 4 through 20, 14 through 21. And when Jesus went out and saw a great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Go to the next one. When Jesus, then Jesus is moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Luke seven thirteen. when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Like, I'm just like so like moved that that the Lord can see so much of our sin. Like we see a little bit of each other's sin and we're already like Pfft. <laughs> like ah like that's don't show me that again, right? I like like don't want to get close to that person. Like and like God sees the deepest most depraved things that we humans can concoct and yet how great his compassion, how unwavering his steadfast mercies are new every morning for us. Oh, how great his compassion is for us. I thank you, Jesus, that you don't harden your heart. Yeah. Um, like, And he calls us to imitate his compassion. To be, like, not just he's compassionate, but he calls us not to harden our hearts to be actually moved by pain and want to relieve it. Like that's hard with a world increasingly more dark. Increasingly, like the cynicism of our hearts can grow. I like, <laughs> I remember, I'll just use like, um, who should I use an exa- as an example? I'll use Weston. Um, <laughs> he's like, oh no. Uh, like I've, Weston has been living temporarily in our house for the last couple of days and Weston's pretty young, right? And he comes from a pretty good family. And, uh, like, you know, if his family says something, they'll probably do it sort of thing. And I, there's been a couple times where Weston will come home and he'll be like, like, my friend said he was going to come to church. And he looks so excited, but he's not going to come. And it's kind of like this, like, like, like almost like this look of bewilderment, you know? <laughs> like, And, like, I'm like, aw. <laughs> like, just kind of like, not, not. Not that I just remember being Weston's age and and coming into the world more and more as I went to OSU, and just being shocked, you know, by sin, shocked by by the world, shocked that someone would say one thing and have a great conversation with me, but actually they weren't being honest about it, you know, like, and and they're not going to do what they said they're going to do, you know, all these things like just harden like your heart and and we make you want to eventually you feel like, oh, you see a lot of suffering now, and you don't feel anymore, right? Or you hear about suffering, and you don't feel anymore, right? Whereas it shocked you when you were younger, or you felt it when you were younger. And God actually, you know, challenges us to look at Christ, and to imitate his compassion, to be moved to relieve uh, pain and suffering. And how do we do that? Um, Like, one of the stories that he gives is uh, the master forgiving the servant of his debt, like billions of dollars, the master forgives the servant of his debt. Why? It wasn't because the master was like, oh, I'm tired of asking you for, to pay back, and you've been so troublesome, so I'm going to cancel your debt. Fine, fine, you're, you're in a predicament. Like, It actually says in scripture, that same word, that the master looked on the servant and had great compassion for him. And that's why he forgave the debt. And yet he was surprised that the servant didn't have great compassion for the other servant. Guys, if we sit before the Lord recognizing how much we really do do not deserve anything good that we have. Like, if we really recognize we don't deserve our houses, our cars. Like, we deserve death. We deserve hell itself. And yet when we look at the the God and his face and his smiling face towards us and the great compassion that we don't deserve, like when we behold God, we become like him. The scripture says that we can have compassion on others. In fact, um, interestingly enough, recently we went through COVID, so we can all understand this. Um, But uh, the early church, actually, um, it was interesting how... They were marked by compassion during the time of the plagues. Like, they actually had two great plagues during the time of um, Marcus Aurelius in, like, 150 AD. And it was worse than ours in terms of one-third of the people died, right? Like, I don't know what percent died. A lot of percent of people died in this current epidemic or plague. But one percent, right? Versus, like, one-third of everyone they knew died. And it actually, a great uh, historian named Rodney Stark mounted a powerful argument that one of the reasons why Christianity grew so quickly in the early church, in a Roman pagan world, was because of how the Christians displayed mercy and compassion during the time of the plagues, when everyone else, uh, historians said, people were were abandoning their mothers and fathers, and they were. Uh, throwing the, the dead bodies onto the streets, um, isolating themselves. Like, it was, it shocked the world that the Christians actually ran to the sick. They fed them. They couldn't let them go hungry. They wouldn't let them starve. To their own demise sometimes, to their own death. And if the Christian died, the rest of the church wasn't like, eh, you know, we shouldn't have gone in there. Look at them. They didn't put on a, a mask. You know, like, like, they actually looked at these early Christians who died having compassion on the sick, and they made them martyrs, right? In fact, um, when Julian, the emperor, tried to restore paganism because Christianity was flourishing all over the place, um, he actually told the pagans and their priests, he said, try to mimic the compassion of the Christians. Like, like try, to, try to do what they do. And, of course, they couldn't. Why? Because they didn't have a compassionate God. Um, I want to point to um, one more example of Jesus' compassion. And this touches me every time I think about it. Um, You really understand someone when they're in suffering. Like, when they're in suffering, like, all the things that come in come out, right? Like, if you're hungry, let's say, like, minimal suffering. Like, you get hangry, right? It's not because... Of you didn't eat, it's actually because you have anger on the inside, and that suffering like brought it out to light, right? Um, so you really see someone in your suffering, and I am so surprised, and and I'm sure we all are that God allowed his son to go through suffering. But we watch his suffering and we see precisely what he's like, the inner core of who this man is. And one of the um, greatest moments, I feel like, on his journey to the cross was that in the height of his suffering, the height, apex of his greatest pain, after the whipping, after the, the nailing of the cross, after the betrayals, after all that, he's hanging on the cross and he looks over at another guy suffering far less than him. And he has great compassion. And he comforts him. Like does not not speak to the very core. Does not that not verify and and validate what God said about Himself in Deuteronomy? I am God. The first characteristic: compassionate. Great is the compassion of our God for us. And so during this time of uh, after Tisha B'Av, like the seven weeks of comfort, comfort as God like pours out His heart towards His people and the Jewish people and wants to comfort us in the midst. Of, of our suffering and the suffering of those around us, it's interesting that the Jewish people also um, read his laws. They read the Ten Commandments during this time of comfort. And I don't know, as a, from a Gentile's perspective, I'm like, the laws? Okay, read me some of those, like, lovely psalms, you know? <laughs> like, or, like, maybe Song of Solomon or something like that. Like, don't read me the Ten Commandments. Like, I don't feel great about, you know, like, I'm glad we have them, but they don't comfort me right? Um, But actually, the Bible says it's because of lawlessness that the love of many grow cold. Like it's actually God's great compassion that causes him to give us those laws. Let me give you an example. So you might see me limping around today because I hurt my knee. When I was traveling yesterday, um, we went up to Worcester, did a bunch of stuff. My knee was just, like, throbbing, like, when I got home, right? And, um, like, you know, I, like, quite a few people know about it. And, you know, I'm just like, yeah, my knee, da, da, da. And I started start limping back into the room, and I flop on my bed, <laughs> And I'm just like, uh. And, of course, one of the most compassionate people in our whole church comes into my room, Cindy. Right? And even before she walks into this room, I know Cindy's going to take care of me. Like, as I hear her footsteps come in. I don't, like, I've no, like, that's just who she is, if you don't know her. But she comes in, she's like, Oh, can I get you some ibuprofen? She goes in and gets ibuprofen, then she makes me a cup. She's like, Do you have water? No? Okay, let me get some water for the ibuprofen. I'm gonna give you an ice pack. I'm going to make you a burrito. Like, and literally, I'm just laying here, like, on the bed on my side. I'm like, thank you. Like, and so she starts the ice pack on. She gives me the ibuprofen. She does everything. She's like, can I do anything else for you? And I'm just thinking in my mind, great is the compassion of our Lord. Like, because that's, Cindy is just a broken human being, but God, his compassion is so greater. And it's actually the law that he tries to ease our pain with the law is our ice pack. The law is the ibuprofen. The law is the burrito. <laughs> yeah. If you don't take notes on anything else, the law is the burrito. But, <laughs> but like, it's not like I like to take ibuprofen, you know, nobody likes it, but it's, but the man who's giving it to us he looks and sees our suffering. He sees our limping. He sees all the things that we haven't even told people about, the little like, times we fade off and look into the distance because of a bad memory or something that someone said that we, nobody else knows they said it, and it just lingers and rings, and just those little things to the big things of our life. Like, and, and he doesn't just sit there. He's moved with compassion, and, he, and his act of compassion is the law. He gives us gives it to us with such tender kindness because he knows it'll help with the pain. You know? Like, like, woe to us if we view God as such a harsh God, Ten Commandments, blah, 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 blah. No, like when we step and behold his beauty, we recognize, oh my gosh, he's so compassionate. Right? Um, and so I thought we would end by doing um what the Jewish people do. I'm um, during the Ten Commandments, and I want us to read it together out loud. Um, and as we're reading it, like tapping into the heart of God's great compassion for us. And so, if we we'll all stand, okay. Um, so i'm I'm gonna divide the room by half. You guys read uh, the words that are on this side, and then you guys read the second and then the third commandment and the fourth commandment until we're done. all right? And just a ahead, it's up. One side's gonna have longer commandments <laughs> to read. But um all right, so let's go to the first one. We'll go to the next one. Next one. Okay. All right, so again, as we read this, let's tap into the compassionate heart of the Lord as he gives us these commands. All right, so this side, you can go ahead and read it. You shall not have other gods besides... Oh, if you're in the middle, you could just pick whatever side you want. Okay. All right, let's start again. Ten Commandments. Good, the next slide. Heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth, do not bow down to them or worship them, for I, Adonai, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to a thousand generations of those who me and keep me. That's what next one. You must not take the name of Adonai your God in vain, for Adonai will not leave unpunished anyone who takes his name in vain. Next one. Observe Yom Shabbat. (laughs) We got this, guys. Let's start again. Observe Yom Shabbat to keep it holy as God and I, your God, commanded you. Six days you are to labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is Shabbat to Adonai, your God. In it, you are not to do any work, not you or your son or your daughter or your slave or your maid or your ox, your donkey or any of your livestock or the outsider within your gates, so that your slave and your maid may rest as you do. You must remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Adonai your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Adonai, your God, commanded you, keep your Am um, Shabbat. Next one. Honor your father and your mother just as Adonai, your God, commanded you so that your days may be long and it may go well with you in the land Adonai, your God, is giving you. Next yeah. Do not murder. Next one. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Next one. Do not covet your neighbor's wife nor desire your neighbor's house, his field, his manservant, his maidservant, or his ox and his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Next one. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Next. Let's read this all together. Adonai, Adonai, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth, showing mercy to a thousand generations, Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means leaving the guilty unpunished, but bringing the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children, the third and the fourth generation. Go ahead and be seated. Joseph, I can have you come up to play in worship. I really love that. last.